are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be joined by Kane Pittman from Locked On Bucks as Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks stun Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics on the road in game one of their best of seven series. Who stepped up for the Bucks with no Chris Middleton? Is Giannis playing like the best basketball player in the world right now? Then we're joined by Cyrus Satsas of Locked On Warriors. The Golden State Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies go down to the wire in game one of the Western Conference semifinals series. John Morant with a chance to win the game late. Klay Thompson with a clutch three and some not-so-clutch free throw misses down the line of this game. Draymond Green ejected and more. Lastly, we touch base with Devon Givens from Locked On 76ers for a quick preview of game one between the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers. Will we get a glimpse of MVP James Harden with no Joel Embiid for Philadelphia? What matchups can the 76ers try to expose here in game one? Now, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on all platforms and now on YouTube. Joining us now is Kane Pittman from Locked On Bucks. As the Milwaukee Bucks stun the Boston Celtics on the road and take a 1 0 series lead here in the Eastern Conference semifinals. You can follow Kane on Twitter for all of his Bucks musings at Kane Pittman. Now, Kane, what did you think early of the defense in this game? You know, from the Celtics against the Bucks, specifically on Giannis, kind of forcing a ton of turnovers early and just how Giannis and company adjusted as the game went along. Well, it was interesting because I think it was super physical as predicted early in this game. But what we have seen from the Bucks over the last few seasons, uh, including game one this year against Chicago, is that uh, they are incredibly sloppy in game ones. Their turnovers have been through the roof. They've hardly won a game one. They just scraped over the line against Chicago. But before that, I believe they were one and six in game ones under Bud. So they really have played poorly. So what was actually going through my mind was, here we go again. The Bucs are going to have 20 turnovers in this game. We'll see how it uh, pans out. But I don't want to take credit away from the Celtics. Clearly, uh, they are a good defensive team. But I think uh, later on in the first quarter, you just saw Giannis as he typically tends to do was starting to survey the floor a little bit slow down see where he can pick apart the Boston defense and I thought the run I think it was a 10-0 run they had late in the first quarter I thought that uh, really settled them into the game and you talk about Giannis and even in this game right he finished you know with his second ever I believe playoff triple double 24 points 13 boards 12 assists had a pair of blocks in there shot just nine of 25 from the floor so not great efficiency but finding ways to impact the game you know you're, you're used to him impacting the game defensively but the 12 assists really stands out to me in the way that he was getting his teammates involved involved throughout the course of this game as he was dealing with the Boston Celtics defensive scheme specifically Al Horford who I think did a, a really tremendous job as good as one can do against Giannis Tedekumpo at least you know guarding him one-on-one yeah, I thought Giannis really dominated this game. And it's interesting because he was 9 for 25 from the field. And I think this is kind of a poster game for the evolution of Giannis. Because if you go back a couple of series, a couple of seasons ago, maybe the series against Toronto, certainly he's had some issues with Boston in the past, Miami, where he's had these types of games where he might be 9 for 21, 9 for 22. And he struggled to find other ways to impact the game. But tonight, even though he missed a bunch of shots around the rim that you kind of were looking at and thinking, geez, Giannis never misses those, uh, he did tonight. 
but he was still able to get everyone else involved. And I thought completely control the game, completely dominate and do it with patience and not get too aggressive, not try and take over, which I think is impressive when you consider Chris Milton wasn't there. Really, the only knock you could have on him was that fourth foul, which was at the time... Uh, uh, not a great move where he sort of charged at, at Jason Tatum and picked up his fourth. But other than that, I thought he was in total control. Yeah, after that fourth foul was picked up, you you just looked over at Coach Bud and he was just <laughs> exasperated, just looking at the camera, kind of a thousand yard stare, like, "What are you doing, man?" And it's you know he's a star player, so he can't can't chastise him too much in the middle of a game one. But uh, past that, you mentioned you know obviously this Bucks team without you know Chris Middleton and, and the guy who is you know, you look to as the de facto, all right, you got to step up. If Chris ain't here, you've got to step up for us. Drew Holiday with a very strong game, 25 points, nine boards, five assists, three steals, really toned it up on the defensive end, but was also really aggressive and kind of looking for his own offensively, I thought, in this one. Yeah, well, Drew Holiday is such a physical player, and this is why uh, we did a crossover podcast with John Corrales, our friend over at Locked On Celtics, and we were discussing the physicality and who he thinks who we thought that if it was a super, super physical series, who would benefit? Uh, I thought it was clearly going to favor the Bucs because when you think about Giannis and the way that he plays, when you think about Drew Holiday, he wants it to be as physical as possible on both ends of the floor. On defense, he's going to get all up in you and body you all night long. But on offense as well, he will do that. He likes to post up. He likes to take you into the paint. He can use his size, use his strength, and score uh, in the perimeter. So I thought... His couple of threes early in the game were really important just to keep the Bucks afloat there when they were behind. But the longer the game went on, he was able to get to his spots in the mid-range, in the paint. And uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I thought he was spectacular tonight. You talk about the physicality, especially here, and I, I do. I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I do think the physicality edge. I would. I would give one point to the Milwaukee Bucks here, but it really felt like their size bothered yeah. the Celtics a lot in this game. You, you trot out a starting lineup of Brooke Lopez, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Bobby Portis, and you've got three giants running around out there clogging things up. It really felt like that was maybe a bit of a difference maker as this game went along. Having those guys out there for different stretches, really kind of you know bottlenecking things at the rim, making life so difficult for the Boston Celtics. Yeah, it's interesting because I think on both ends of the floor as well, certainly the Bucks close up the paint and this is what they've done for years. And you look at the 53-point attempts that Boston had, uh, that's by design. Some people may look at that and say, well, if the Celtics hit a few more open threes, well, the Bucks are happy of Al Horford shooting nine threes per game. And yes, he can knock them down and there might be a game in this series where he does, uh, but they're going to live with Marcus Smart jacking up a bunch of threes and Al Horford jacking up a bunch of threes and Peyton Pritchard. I don't know what he was thinking in the fourth quarter, but Peyton Pritchard jacking up a bunch of threes. So... Yes, you look at it, and, and Celtics fans might say, well, uh, there was some open threes, but it's kind of by design. They got nothing in the paint. When you got Giannis down there, when you got Brooke Lopez down there, the size overwhelmed them. So uh, I thought pre uh, before the series, the Bucks might stick with the, the big lineup, and I think we saw tonight why uh, it can work for them. Now we'll see how the Celtics adjust. Yeah, Peyton Pritchard with a little bit of uh, maybe, you know, my 2K hero ball there in the fourth <laughs> quarter, uh, much to the chagrin of Brad Stevens, who decidedly walked away That's early nice. from the end of that game up in his suite, wherever he was watching the game from. But let's take a look here, Kane, at the the Bucks bench, because I really think Javon Carter, Pat Connaughton, and Grayson Allen deserve a little bit of maybe some spotlight from this game, because it felt like their impact, you know, sporadically throughout the game, some very timely threes combined to shoot six of 12 from distance, all three of them. And it really felt like their impact all off the bench in this game what was really important to kind of get the Bucks through certain stretches of this one, just when they really needed some timely buckets. Yeah, Javon Carter plays a pretty important role. And remember, George Hill uh, is out at the moment with an abdominal strain. Now, you know, a lot of Bucks fans have been saying that they would prefer Javon Carter to play anyway. 
I'm not sure whether he would be playing over George Hill. We know George Hill's been a long-time favorite of Mike Budenholzer. But the thing that Javon Carter does, uh, I think they said it on the broadcast, and maybe some people that don't know Javon Carter too well would be saying, what did he just say? But I think it was Mark Jones that said that he's one of the best in the league at applying full-court pressure. But that is literally his trademark. He's been doing that since he got minutes in this team. So I thought it was interesting that the Bucs throughout this game defensively said, all right, Marcus Smart, you want to bring the ball up the floor? You can do it, but you're going to have Javon Carter in your, in your face the whole time. And I think that the fact that he was a playable player in this series is really important because it allows Drew Holiday to slide up and defend a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum. And Wes Matthews can take the other big wing, the other J there. And all of a sudden, Giannis is roaming. Brooke Lopez is staying in the paint. So I thought the role... Uh, to your point, that Javon Carter played in this game was uh, absolutely critical. And then the bonus is that he knocked down a couple of shots as well. Now, Kane, it wasn't all, you know, sunshine and lollipops here. There were some areas that, you know, the, the Bucks would probably like to clean up moving into game two. So what would you like to see them kind of adjust, take care of as we're rolling into game two of this series? Kind of maybe the one glaring issue from this game that you'd like to see them address. Yeah, I mean, the easy one is the turnovers early in the game. I mean, that really could have cost them uh, tonight, if you think about the, the lead they gave up early in the game. And then in the second half, they only scored 45 points. Now, Boston is a really good defensive team, so I don't think, think, don't think that that's necessarily a huge shock. But if you're a Bucs fan, I think that there is a fair bit of room for optimism because uh, the Celtics did shoot better from three. The Bucs were 35% from three, so it's not like it was a scorching night, particularly in the second half. Uh, they weren't hitting those threes. And then the other obvious one is Giannis going nine for 25. Is he going to do that again? Is he going to make a few of those layups? So, uh, look, I, I thought it was a pretty good game for the Bucs. There's no doubt about that elite defensively. But offensively, I think if you're a Milwaukee fan, you have to feel like there's still room for improvement. The Milwaukee Bucks take the edge here in game one against the Boston Celtics. Home court now in their favor. How does the series play out? Kane's going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Bucks. Kane, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Anytime. Coming up, Golden State Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies go down to the wire in game one. Draymond Green getting ejected early in this one. Klay Thompson with some clutch moments and some not-so-clutch moments late in this game. Steph Curry defense on John Morant. John Morant with a chance to win this game for the Grizzlies at the final buzzer. But first, quick message from our friends over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your sports betting stats and info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information from live betting, playoffs, esports, the NBA draft, and more. And speaking of the NBA draft, right now you can head to Bet Online to find out who is the odds-on favorite to go number one overall in this year's NBA draft. Right now, Jabari Smith Jr., minus 105 favorite to be the number one overall pick in this year's NBA draft. You got Chet Holmgren at plus 195, and then bringing up the rear, Paolo Bancaro at plus 300. So for that and more, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action available to you. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. For your second listen, make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Host Raphael Barlow from the NBA Draft Junkies and author of NBA Big Board Newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA Draft, Mock Draft, Player Rankings, and of course, Big Boards. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Joining us now is Cyrus Satsas from Locked On Warriors off the heels of such an exciting finish in game one of the Western Conference semifinals between the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies. You can follow him on Twitter, of course, at Dog Surf Roadshow. Now, Cyrus, the end of this game was absolutely bananas coming down to the wire and who else but Clay Thompson to come up in the clutch, sinking the would-be game-winning three for the Warriors. We won't talk about the missed free throws after that, <laughs> you know, after that three-pointer make. But just can you talk about the poise, not just in the final moments from this game from the Warriors, but just the poise throughout this game, a team that really looks like they've been there, they've dealt with this adversity before, and they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it was... a. Uh... Look, I, I did a post-game segment with my friend Larry Kruger. First of all, my Twitter account currently is hacked, so if people go to Ad Dogs or Frocho and, and whatever's going on there, I hope, I pray Twitter support helps me out. Um, but anyways, in regards to the game, uh, I really felt like, and look, I, I, I'm not as impartial to this as you are, Jackson, but I really felt like the Warriors were playing a six-on-five game, man. They were playing the Grizzlies five plus the officials. I, I, I really cannot believe Draymond Green got suspended. I don't know if that's a subject you want to say for, for later, but regardless, yeah, the Warriors, like, I mean, between the constant whistles, which are bad enough, and I feel like it's bad for the entire postseason. I, I really wish they would just stop blowing that whistle. Let them play. It's ruining the flow of the game, the fun of the game. But in this game, to take Draymond Green out with the flagrant two was insane. I mean, he's arguably the most important player beside maybe Stephen Curry, but those two are one-two, however order you want to put it. And so they had to have poise to come through. And obviously you had Gary Payne II, who just came up big time and time and again. I mean, the fact that Steve Kerr started him was very reassuring uh, because he's usually very slow to react when it comes to roster changes. He made a, a huge change there with the starting lineup by going small. And um, you're right, Clay Thompson hit the big three, even though he only finished three, I believe, of 10 from three for the game. Uh, you know, he, it was a big one. He hit a huge one at the end there to miss those free throws was crazy. You know, I criticized the officials. They missed a blatant out of bounds call that should have gone to the Warriors instead of went to that jump ball uh, at the end of the game. Um, so yeah, poise was important. Uh, uh, Stephen Curry had a huge game, but you know, the poise of Jordan Poole, that's on championship poise because he's not, he wasn't a part of those uh three championship teams. So this is a young up and comer who's still only 22 years of age. Uh, who led the Warriors and in scoring with 31. Uh, he also poured in eight rebounds, which was tied for the team lead. And I think really when you look at the stats of this game, the one that sticks out to me the most is rebounding because that was supposed to be where the Grizzlies have the biggest edge, especially with offensive rebounding, one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the game. And they were tied with offensive rebounds at 16 apiece, and the Warriors won the rebounding battle 51 to 47. So, and they were small the entire time. It didn't take a, a, a you know basketball savant to look on that floor and see, wow, the Warriors are a small team out there. Yet they still out-rebounded the Grizzlies 51-47. And all those things put together played such a huge part in the Warriors winning. I mean, I really did not expect the Warriors to win that game. Yet they, here they are up 1-0. Yeah, it was, again, a very, very exciting game between these two teams finishing. Obviously, the Warriors coming out on top 117-116. You mentioned the Draymond Green situation, obviously, getting you know whistled. They they go back, they review the, the foul, they issue him a flagrant two. I was convinced. I thought they were going to come away ruling it a flagrant one. I think we can probably agree there that it should have been a flagrant one. Yes. Excessive contact. The flagrant two, I thought, was a bit curious. And for this Warriors team, 
to lose Draymond in the second quarter and then to still be able to come away with the win, you know, kind of mounting that adversity a little bit and doing it by committee, especially on the defensive end, really is a testament to what they were able to accomplish in this game. It really is. Um, you know, I, and you're right. It's it's what I expect from NBA officials is objectivity. And, and you know, I pose this question again. And I'm going to bring this up on Locked On Warriors tomorrow is why is there a double standard in terms of Chris Paul, for example, who has a very long track record of dirty plays just in the series? He got a flagrant run for kicking someone else in the groin. Uh, the NBA had to issue a statement saying they messed up with a call at the end of the, the last game where he elbowed a player right in the face. Yet Chris Paul continues to have this golden boy image Yet Draymond Green, who because maybe he's more vocal than other players. Um he has this stigma attached to him for some reason. But regardless, officials, in my opinion, should not be biased. That goes against what they're supposed to be doing. And they're, they're unfortunately really taking up a lot of what I'm talking about right now, we're talking about, and that should not be the case. Uh, but in regard to this game, look, uh, Draymond's going to be back in game two. And I really do feel like the Grizzlies had to win this game if they're going to have a chance in this series, just because all of their regular season effort was supposed to result in home court advantage, that's gone. So the Warriors now have home court advantage, and the Warriors also have a defensive identity. When Draymond Green is playing, in the starting lineup we saw tonight, you had Draymond, Gary Payne II, who is really starting to make a name for himself as a defender. Um, when you look at his stats of him defending Jaw, his Jaw Morant's numbers are not great when Gary Payne II guards him. But then you also have Andrew Wiggins, who had a huge game tonight, maybe not so much statistically, you know, 17 points is about on par for him uh, in terms of scoring, but he grabbed eight rebounds uh, and he was making huge defensive plays. He was oftentimes assigned to either jaw or he was also assigned to um, another player that the Grizzlies rely on from scoring. And that's Desmond Bain, who in 32 minutes of play was only one for five from three, only had nine points. And a huge reason for that was because a longer, more athletic and a, and a really underrated defender, in my opinion, in Andrew Wiggins was on him contesting all of those three-point shots. The Warriors made it a mission that if the Grizzlies were going to beat them, they were not going to beat them with Desmond Bain and, to a lesser extent, Dylan Brooks hitting open threes. That's why you saw Jaron Jackson Jr. scoring 33 tonight on six of nine shooting from three, which is absurd. Uh, you, you saw another uh, bench player for them in De'Anthony Melton scoring 14 points on three of six shooting from three. Uh, so the, the Warriors made it a mission, again, to take out their two most lethal three-point shooters, certainly in Desmond Bain and to a lesser extent in Dylan Brooks, and it really paid off because the defense was a difference in this game and the Warriors now have a 1-0 lead. This was a Golden State Warriors team that was one of the top defensive teams, the top defensive team, if I'm not mistaken, throughout the regular season. And for good reason, I still managing to make their mark on this game defensively without Draymond Green kind of anchoring that team defense for them. Now, you mentioned kind of the, the game plan here forcing the other guys to to have those difficult shots and not let them get going from three and Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain. But how did you feel that the Warriors did against John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. here? Any adjustments that you'd like to see moving forward against those two guys specifically as they both went off for 30-plus in this game, 34 for John Morant, 33 for Triple J. Any adjustments there, or are you kind of content with the Warriors' game plan to let those two guys kind of get their shots off and then you know force the rest of the team into you know struggles from beyond the arc 
I, I really think, uh, and again, this is just based off my observation skills uh, and, and what I'm hearing from various sources, but uh, I, I really do think the Warriors are going to continue this plan and force Memphis to adjust uh, simply because the Grizzlies are, you know, we, we've heard this over and over again throughout the season. They're one of the deepest teams in the NBA, and, and I think there's it's a very justified claim for anyone saying so. Uh, so the Warriors decided they're going to let John Morant shoot outside. I mean, John Morant had a lot of open looks from three. He hit his first two, so the strategy wasn't looking good at that point. But then for the rest of the game, John Morant from three was two for nine. He finished four for 11 from beyond the arc. And, and I'm, my guess is they're going to continue letting Jaron Jackson Jr. do what he does. I really would not expect him to shoot six of nine from three again. That's a really high clip, even by his standards. Um Ultimately, I mean, you know, if if you watch the Grizzlies play, Desmond Bain is vitally crucial for their success. And the fact that the Warriors limited him to just nine points, again, on one of five shooting from, from three, three for 10 shooting for the game, uh, is testament. I mean, you know, I, I think if there's any adjustment, it's going to be maybe trying to limit Brandon Clark a little more. He was getting a lot of big rebounds, a lot of second chance points. You know, he was plus six on the plus minus, which was second on the team overall. Uh, behind just Dylan Brooks, who really didn't put up a lot of points, but he was still making a positive impact in the game. Um, but I, I think this is the strategy. I think the strategy really is John Morant. You are, you know, this this the new up and coming rising superstar in this game. Prove it with your outside shooting. Let's see you beat us with those three point shots because we're not going to let you penetrate and, and destroy us with these huge monster dunks like he was putting down on Minnesota. And we saw in Game One that they that's that's the strategy. They're like. They don't want him attacking the paint because they know everything collapses and opens up for those outside shooters in the process. So they're, they'd rather have Jaw uh, have his moments with open, easier outside looks. He'll still get his points, but he misses a lot too, um, as evident again by finishing a two of nine from three after making the first two. Uh, so outside of Brandon Clark, um, and, and Kyle Anderson is always a player that scares me with the Grizzlies. He's someone that could just really go off. It shocked me that he only scored two points in this game. So um it's just going to be interesting. I, I'd love to hear other people's perspectives on that as well. But game two, it's I, I, it's a must win for the Grizzlies because if they lose that game, I, I could see a sweep. I, I could see this series being over. But defensively, I think the Warriors did what they wanted to do, which is force Jaw to shoot outside shots, let Jaron Jackson uh, you know, have his day and prevent uh, Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks from going off. The Warriors taking control of the series with a game one win on the road against the Memphis Grizzlies. Does this mean the Warriors are on their way to yet another semifinals series victory? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more, of course, over at Locked on Warriors. Cyrus, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Anytime, Jackson. Thank you so much. Coming up, the 76ers are without their star big man, Joel Embiid. What are the implications for this second round matchup between the Miami Heat and the 76ers with no Joel Embiid for at least the first two games of this series? Will we get a glimpse at MVP James Harden? Who else does Doc Rivers lean on in this series? What matchups can the 76ers try to expose or take advantage of here in these first couple of games? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar, because when it comes to protein bars, You've got to check out Bilt Bar. They're the number one protein bar on the market. They've got so many incredible flavors to choose from. Raspberry, strawberry, salted caramel, cookies and cream, mint brownie, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. You really can't go wrong with a single flavor on their menu. Every single bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing. If you're on a keto diet, amazing. If you're trying to cut back a little bit, lose a little bit of weight, you can check them out. Just go to Bilt.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best-tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com.
And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Devon Givens from Locked On Sixers. You can follow on Twitter at DevonG975. Now, Devon, look, no Joel Embiid for at least the first two games of this semifinal series between the Sixers and the Miami Heat. There's maybe some optimism that Embiid could be back, you know, as early as games three or maybe game four in this series. But up until that point, right, the Sixers are finding themselves without their star big man. So first things first, what do you expect the starting lineup to be here in game one? And just how drastically does the Sixers rotation change with no Joel Embiid in the mix? Well, Doc Rivers spoke about them going center by committee. And we're talking about Paul Reed, who got the primary minutes backing up Joel Embiid in the Raptors series. And then you have to include DeAndre Jordan. Paul Millsap, and as of late, rookie Charles Bassey. Bassey has been out with an injury, but he did practice in full on Saturday with the team and also Sunday as well. So curious to see how it goes. And to be honest with you, I'm not really, I'm not sure because he has kept it under wraps. And now maybe that's just, of course, keeping it from Eric Spolster and the coaching staff, not giving them any type of edge and the advantage going into the game planning because they're going to have to game plan for all four of them. Uh, that being said, I'd imagine right now, just as a guess, maybe Paul Reed, just because he did get those primary minutes. But do you go with the veteran in Jordan or Millsap? If we go back to the final regular season game that these two teams had without Embiid and Harden in the lineup, uh, Paul Millsap did start. DeAndre Jordan had some minutes there as well. But it was really Tyrese Maxey that had a really solid game. Shake Milton, Furkan, Korkmaz mixing in some really good performances there as well. So I would say the Normal starting four. I think Danny Green stays in the starting lineup. No Matisse Thibault since he's eligible now for all possible seven games. I'd imagine they stick with those starting four. But the fifth, it's up in the air right now because they're being pretty quiet about who they're going to lean towards. Right now, I guess Paul Reed. I'm glad you mentioned that last regular season matchup between these two teams. And we're going to get to that in just a second here. But I want to go, you know, not only are they trying to replace just the 48 minutes? Well, not, not a full 48, obviously, from Joel Embiid, but not, they're not just trying to replace his minutes. They're trying to replace his production, which is easier said than done when you're trying to replace an MVP caliber level player's production on the court on both ends. So in, in your eyes, is this something where they're going to be replacing Embiid's production by committee, or is it just going to be, you know, more shots distributed for the remaining, you know, big three for the for the Sixers between Harden, Maxi, and Tobias Harris, or is it just going to be kind of whoever can step up to the play is going to get those shots I think in the beginning they'll lean more towards the the big three if you will uh that are left over and not the big three in the sense as we know what a big three is but the three that are left with Harden Maxi, and Harris to lean on them pretty heavily with their offensive production and then of course scheme the other things in having the bench come in and be a little more productive look to their scoring as well George Niang Shake Milton and see how far Doc Rivers decides to go deeper into his bench with that. Danny Green had a nice series as well, but the head coach talked about leaning towards Harden a lot and maybe funneling things more towards him where the offense will be driven through James Harden. Maybe not as much as we've seen in the past because the Houston James Harden doesn't seem like that exists. And that's okay because this is why you have a top head coach of all time now and Doc Rivers with his staff. There's some really good names there to figure this out. And if, if, if there was any indication of what James Harden can bring you, you have to go back to game number six. And stepping up in the moment, 10 points, five assists right away, 22 points at the end of the game, 15 assists. 
uh, on the evening to help in the closeout situation and where they've been asking for him, Jackson, to be a lot more aggressive and looking for his, not just being a distributor, but also looking for his. And that's what he did. I mentioned the 10 and five. That was the first quarter. So he came out, he set the tone right away and giving us a glimpse of what he was going to be like that night. Now, as he did that, Joel Embiid stepped up his scoring performance. Uh, Danny Green hit four threes in one quarter. And then in the third, Tyrese Maxey scored 15. So he set the tone. The others did their parts of compartmentalizing how they were doing it. And next thing you know, James Harden ends up with 22 because you only needed 12 more points from him. So his assisting and his distributing was there. But the setting the tone of being an aggressor and letting the Raptors know that he was going to be a scorer that night as well maybe made them change up their defensive philosophy just a bit. So I, I, I'd imagine that Eric Spolstra and the Miami Heat look back at that final game that we just mentioned briefly. And, of course, what Harden did, knowing that he's going to be the next man up to be that guy, that first option that they try to slow down. So that's why I think they start, and then they'll make their adjustment, as all coaches do, as the game starts to progress and see how they're being defended. Yeah, James Harden, obviously not not quite the same James Harden from his MVP caliber seasons uh, here in Houston. However, you know, still very capable of taking over a game when, when necessary. And realistically, you're looking at the series from a Sixers perspective. And if they can just if they can maybe steal one of these first two games in Miami and it completely changes the outlook of the entire series but you go back to his numbers uh in the first round six game you know six games across the first round didn't break 20 points per game average just averaged 19 points but did have double digit assist numbers and as you alluded to did step up big time in game six when they needed that closeout performance that closeout win now when you look at these two teams devon you mentioned it before but that that final regular season game between these two uh franchises and there was no James Harden or Joel Embiid in that game. So from the Sixers lens, what, what lessons can they try to take and, and hopefully maybe emulate from that game? A game in which uh, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, they all went for 20-plus in that game. So it wasn't like the, the Miami Heat were hurt or, or underperforming. The Sixers were still able to come away with the win in that one. Yeah, you saw some you saw some uh, some fast pace that they want to do. They want to play with some pace. In the game, and Tyrese Maxey is the perfect person for that with his speed and his ability to get out there. And in transition, number one, even in the half court, you could see him really, Jackson, he turns it up. If you haven't seen much of him, Miami Heat fans, you'll get ready. To, and look, it may they may just stop him defensively, but you'll see what I'm talking about with his speed and how it's a difference maker uh, in this game. And defensively, you have Kyle Lowry, who's going to be out for game one already, but he, he's there defensively. He's really solid. You know that Jimmy Butler, wait, now he may not be able to stick with him and keep up with his speed. You know defensively, though, he knows how to use his angles and his body to put his, you know, that strength on Tyrese Maxey to possibly slow him down. But that's one thing that they use there uh, as well, the penetration, getting there and pulling Bam Adebayo away from the basket as a shot blocker. So use that in the half-court set. Use those angles to get to the rim, get to the basket, the painted area and get those shots off. So that was something that we saw in that game uh, there as well. Despite the fact of 20 each from those three performers that you spoke about, Tyrese Maxey was really on full display. Also, Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz, just getting the production from the guards the way that they needed to in that way. So that is a bit of a formula, again, with no MB and having to go with these other four centers. There's a way that you can still compete. The other one, as I point out the offensive part, oftentimes you find teams that identify a weak spot defensively. We've seen it in Philadelphia where they'll 
target somebody here, and you've seen it, uh, George Niang, as an example, the Raptors tried to get him. They got him a few times, but they tried to get him. And that final game against the Miami Heat, Tyler Hero was a turnstile. And they were finding him every chance they could down the floor, identifying that matchup and attacking it. And I think that the amount of minutes that he plays and him being in there, they're going to do their best to find him. Even if he's hiding on another player, they're going to come up, set those screens, get him to switch off and attack Tyler Hero. And if you get him in foul trouble, if you get him off of his game, maybe that will also affect his offensive production on the other end where his confidence may uh, wane a little bit based on what he's being what's being done to him on the other end of the floor. Yeah, no Kyle Lowry for game one for the Miami Heat. A ton of the Miami Heat players listed as questionable or, or you know, uh, probable for the game. I, I would imagine that the rest of the lineup probably stays intact, um, especially it being a playoff game, but at least no Kyle Lowry. So that maybe levels things out a little bit in the in the Sixers' favor. Obviously, you can't put Kyle Lowry and Joel Embiid on the same tier, but at least but it important. helps the Sixers out a little bit more. Yeah, he, I mean, Kyle Lowry, very important part of what the Miami Heat are trying to accomplish here. But I need you to maybe get out of my notes here, Devon, because my very next question was going to be about mismatches that the Sixers could, you know, potentially expose. And you were so gracious as to highlight Tyler Harrow there. And so that should be, you know, something that Sixers fans pay attention to and, and Miami Heat fans as well as seeing, you know, how detrimental Tyler Harrow's defense might be in this series if the 76ers look to pick on him on that end of the basketball floor. So with that, Devon, I got to ask you before we get you out of here, give me your series prediction for how this thing turns out. Wow, I honestly... Wow. Uh, with the unknown right now of Joel Embiid, that's tough. Man, I would say Miami in six just because of Joel Embiid and how important he is with this. But um, they do have some prideful guys here in Philadelphia, and they know what's at stake. They've done this before. They played without him, um, out him on the floor for an extended period of time. They're going to compete. But if I had to choose right now, just not knowing and un unclear of, obviously, if they can split in Miami, that I would give Miami in six right now with Jackson. You got to give me the opportunity to potentially change things if he is, in fact, uh, able to go at some point in this series. I might have to adjust it a little bit. It's okay. We'll give you that chance to adjust it, obviously, depending on how this series plays out. And, of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Sixers. Devon, appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Nah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, appreciate you for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, check us out on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe, all of that. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA. Biggest stories with the local experts.